All right, hello everybody. Who's excited to get into God's Word? All right, I love that. Absolutely fantastic. I am as well. We're continuing on in our Roman series. It is good to see you. It is good to welcome you, whether you're in the room right here or whether you are in another room and uh, checking this out online or perhaps in the classic venue the, or the Moon Campus. It is good to be together. You know, they say there are basically two different kinds of people. There are those who are rule followers and there are those who, if some authority puts out a rule, that you're kind of always feeling this tug to break it, right? So I'm wondering, just to show a show of hands here, how many of you are rule followers? All right, that's, that's probably most of you. How many of you are not? So you're the other side. You're the rule breaker, all right? You're, yeah, no, no pointing to other people. You're just voting for yourself on this one, all right? All right, well, I'm, I'm essentially a rule follower. Um, I was at... Uh, some of you know that I ran the Boston Marathon and at the Boston Marathon afterwards in the evening there's a party. There's a after party and, and uh, it's held at Fenway Park. And that's pretty cool. There were, you know, where the Red Sox play. And, and uh, the first time I went to it, I was pretty surprised about how they allow you just to go out on the field. And you could go in the dugout and you go, could hang out underneath the green monster. They even brought out some of the World Series trophies and they let you take your picture with it. And so I did. Here you go with these World Series trophies. And then there's this guy standing nearby, an authority figure guy, and he says, no touching, so I did this. <laughs> and then he turned his back, and so I did this. Yeah, all right, I know, really a rebel, right? Yeah, big rebel guy right here, yeah. So, so that's just kinda, I was thinking I, I didn't need to touch those at all because I could just wait for the Pirates to win a World Series. And then I could touch theirs, but I just didn't think I'd live that long. And so I had to, I had to do it there. Well, living under authority is something that we all, we all kind of uh, have to get our arms around, our heads around just a little bit and figure out what that, what that is like. And we process it differently as people. Now, for some, you know, we are, some of it that you're processing isn't all that big of a deal, kind of like my, my World Series trophy moments. But uh, sometimes it's, it's vastly more consequential. And today we're going to be digging into something where we're taking a look at this idea of living under authority where it is vastly more consequential than what my experience happened to be there. We, uh, we are coming now into just the last few chapters of the book of Romans. And uh, this is in our sermon series, Romans, Grace Changes Everything. And we have said, I don't know how many times since we've made the transition in chapter 12, that uh, chapters 1 through 11 are deeply theological in nature. You've heard me say this before, if you've been with us at all. Deeply theological in nature. It tells us about God's grace and his mercy and about his love. It tells us all about uh, the gospel and how it meets mankind in our need and how God meets us and how God elects us and how God justifies us as we come into faith in Jesus Christ and we've learned about sanctification, all of these different deep and important theological truths. Right at the end of chapter 11, Paul just pauses and he puts this very unusual little section in where he turns from theology to what? Doxology, thank you, yes. Theology to doxology and he just worships for a few verses and then we came into chapter 12 where everything from that point forward to the end of the book is very much a practical look at what should we do because of those things that are true of us, those things that are true about God, those things that he has told us about. How should we live? 
And today is an essential and absolutely practical circumstance. Hardly can think of something more practical, more important than this idea of living under authority. That's what he turns to. That's what we're talking about today. Living under authority. And the specific authority that he is talking about in this passage is the government. The government. Now, thankfully, in America and in the church, we're pretty much all in lockstep with one another when it comes to thinking about the government and political parties. There really isn't much disagreement that happens in our world today when you're in America today when you think about that. So I don't think there's going to be any real issues or any real struggle that anybody might have here. I'm sure you're not going to have any disagreement with anything that Paul says or anything that I have. I feel so confident about that that I'm happy to just go ahead and put my email address out there for you. All right. It's John Western at Chapter 13 of the book of Romans is where we're going to talk about living under the authority of the government. That's what Paul brings us to, and it's a very, very important passage. I invite you to go ahead and open up to this passage, Romans chapter 13. We're going to be in these first seven verses of this chapter. It's no surprise that when Paul turns to practical issues, he gives us some clear and definitive teaching on what it looks like to live under authority, and specifically that of the government. And it quickly becomes apparent as we read this passage that he's not asking or even addressing a question of, should we live under that authority? He's just bringing that as an assumption into what he's going to say. The question that we have is why? Why should we? What's the rationale for living under that sort of authority? And that's where this passage really goes. And so that's where we're going to take it. We're going to consider what is it that Paul says to us as to why is it we should live under authority. And there are four different things that I want to pull out of this for us today and show to you. There's an outline there in your bulletin. If you are in your pathway notes, you can use that. Open up your Bible, your, your uh, journal, whatever it is you have access to. It's important for you to see this because I'm not going to make any of this up, all right? This is all straight what Paul says. This isn't my idea. This is Paul's idea. So here we go. The first of the things he says as to why should you live under this sort of authority, he says, number one, it is what God established. It's what God established. The letter we're studying is called Romans. That's because it was written by the Apostle Paul, he's our author, to this young upstart church in Rome. Now Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire and uh, the Roman Empire was in charge. They were the ones who had all the power in the world at this time. And so this is the context that uh, the church is getting its start in. And the Roman Empire is secular, to be sure. And so they don't have a lot of time for the Jews. They don't have a lot of time for the Christians. In fact, we talked about this long time ago, that uh, there's one of these emperors, Emperor Claudius, actually kicks the Jews out of Rome for a while. And they're gone and they have to leave and they have to just be deported for a time. Now eventually they come back, but you can imagine when they come back, there's some distrust that they have, there's some suspicion that they have toward the government and and you would because they haven't treated you very nicely or very fairly. And so there are actually some that spring up from within their number who have come back that we refer to as zealots. Their desire was to rise up and uh, to stand against the Roman Empire, in fact, try to overthrow the Roman government. That's what they were all about. Now Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, no, 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 we don't want that, even though one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. The name was Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon 
the zealot. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm about. Jesus didn't come to do battle to gain territory. Jesus came to do battle to gain hearts. That's why he's here, to fulfill the purposes of the Father. And so that's the context that we have here. Now, Paul knew all of that, and he wanted to make sure that the people of the church understood it too, that they understood this is the purpose for which we exist. This is what we are here to do. Paul also, I'm sure, had an idea that this letter that he's writing is probably going to get circulated into some who were the Roman authorities, and so it would be important for them to also get a glimpse of here's what the church is about, and here's what it's not about. And so we've got this letter now in front of us and we get some of the rationale for why he's writing it. So Paul gets very direct here on how people should relate to their leaders. And we can see what he has to say right as we get started. Verse 1, chapter 13, the book of Romans. He begins with this line. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Period. That's what he says. You have any wonder, you have any doubt, you have any questions about where he's going to come down on this? There you go, right from the start. He goes on, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's pretty clear. He starts by saying, every person Now, we have to ask ourselves, what do you suppose every person means? It means every person. (laughs) It means all of us. He's talking to everybody who's going to be reading this letter. He says, be subject to the governing authorities. Who do you suppose those are? Well, those are the people who govern at any level. So in America, this would be from the president down to governors, to mayors, to local city councils. It would be national, it would be state, it would be local officials as well. And why are we to be subject to them? Is it because they won some election? Well, not directly. The reason is because their authority is what God has established. So to discount or disregard somebody who's in a position of authority isn't just to an offense to them, it's also most egregiously an offense to God because he says that God is the one who has given these people the place from which they serve. He's the one who has established the office and these are the ones who inhabit those offices and that's what he wants us to understand. Now, I know that there's an issue that's already probably going through your mind and that is, well, what if that person who's in that position isn't respectable? What if that person holds positions that I don't hold, that I believe are wrong? What about then? And that's a really important question. And we're going to get to that question. But before we start to deal with exceptions to the rule, let's make sure that we understand the rule itself. And the rule is to be subject to the authorities because God has established those positions. That's what Paul says. Not just because it's a good thing to do to be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen, but because God has established those positions. Our first effort should always be to support the work that is being done by our leaders. Now, you're not going to agree with absolutely everything that they do, but there is no context that you're in where you are together with somebody else, where you are in some sort of situation where you're going to agree completely with what that person is what they stand for, what they say, what they do. You don't agree with any leader, whether it would be a a government leader, whether it would be your boss, whether it would be your parents perhaps, maybe your pastor. 
There are always going to be things that you're not going to agree 100% with the things that are being said or done. But our efforts, he's saying, should be given to supporting wherever we can instead of taking the position that says, you know what, I'm ideologically on a different side than what you're on, and so pretty much whatever you're for, I'm going to choose to be against. That so often is the way that we process our way through these sorts of circumstances. And Paul says, no, no, no. No, now, our minds typically go to the things where we're furthest apart with the person who is on that other side or the person who is in that position, whatever it might happen to be, and there's certainly a time when we should do that, but there are plenty of other times where we have hopes and dreams and desires that we want to live out and we want for our family or we want for our community or we want for someone else and, and uh, to, to just outright stand against is, is working against our own benefit and it's certainly working against what God has established There are plenty of places that we can choose to work in consort with instead of against because we might have some sort of ideological difference on certain issues and so we're just going to choose to be the thorn in the flesh on all of the issues. That's not what we're being called to and Paul is drawing that out. So Paul says that we're to be subject to leaders. But you might say, but yeah, but Paul didn't have it in his context like we have it in ours. And you're right. Paul had it worse, far worse than what we have, really. The Roman government was a very pagan group of people. The authorities were somewhere between unfriendly and openly hostile toward Christians, toward believers, toward the church in this particular context. They didn't have any representatives they could go to and share their point of view. They didn't have a vote. They weren't given a vote. They could stand up on the street corner. They had the right to just declare their mind and say whatever they thought. And for that, they probably would get killed or at least thrown into prison. That's their context. It was a monarchy and you had an emperor who could do whatever he wanted to do and there was nobody there to hold him accountable. And they did some really strange and off-the-wall things, really evil things as well. And just some things that just make you scratch your head. One of those emperors actually set up one of his horses to be a member of his senate. And then he later, and then he later promotes him to a higher position. I mean, why would you do that? Not just because the thing is a horse, but also because he always voted negatively on everything. He always voted nay, right? Yeah. It's horrible. Why would you do that? Other emperors were famously known for their vile treatment of Christians and others. The point is that it's not because things were so good for Paul that he's able to make this declaration and to say that you should live under the authority. It's not because everything was going so well. In fact, he served in a context lived in a context, ministered in a context where so often what he was seeing being done was not somebody acting in integrity, not somebody acting for the common good, but just simply acting for themselves. Yet this directive continues. And this is the context in which he gives it. So we can't just dismiss it saying, well, it's different for us than it was for him. Yeah, it's better for us than it was for him, actually. The influence that Paul wanted the church to have involved being subject to governing authorities. Why should we do that? Why should we live under authority? Because it's what God established as a way that we might be able to operate together. And that's kind of where he goes as he, as he moves on in this passage. We see also why should we live under authority? Well, also because it is for our good. 
The passage is dealing with how Christians are to live toward authorities, but there is a little bit he throws in here as to how the authorities live toward the citizens. Verse 3, if you look at it, says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That means that if you're living according to the law, that you never have anything to worry about. You don't have to sweat it. But if you're driving constantly 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, you are going to worry about what's going to be around the next bend. Or you're going to wonder about what's that car that's sitting there in the median. Or you're going to have your Waze app open so that you can tell where all the police are. At least that's what people tell me they fear and worry about when they're speeding and when they go over the limit. Verse 3 continues, says, Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? You should fear if you're acting badly is what he's saying. Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. If you're doing what is right, the actions of rulers you'll recognize are essentially almost always for your good. They're usually in that direction. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now last week we talked about the fact that Paul was saying that we should not take vengeance ourselves. That that's not left to individuals to do that. And you can imagine just what a mess it would be if everybody just did what was right in their own eyes against the people that they have something against. That would not work so well. But here what Paul is saying is that God has handed some of that over to government authorities to the people who are working in that sort of capacity in our realm. And he's given them that responsibility on our behalf. And we can be thankful for all of those who keep order and all of those who execute justice in our world and in our context. Imagine if everything that people wanted to do, they just did. Everybody just did what, however that they saw fit, that there was nobody to sort, of, to sort of govern that sort of behavior. You'd probably end up living next to this guy, right? And he'd probably be on both sides of you because there's nobody to sort of say this is allowed and this isn't allowed and so on and so forth. Government and the justice system and law enforcement, they're certainly not perfect, but I'm so grateful for what they do because they give you someone to call when there's a problem or when there's a need or when there's some sort of emergency that happens in our context, there is someone that you can call and you have confidence that if you do so, somebody's going to show up and that they are going to care for that need, whatever it happens to be. Paul himself appealed to Roman rulers on multiple occasions. He appealed to his Roman citizenship and it got him out of some pretty bad jams and allowed him to continue on with his life for one thing and also with his ministry. And we have similar blessings and we should not take any of those for granted. And so for those of you who do serve in that kind of a context under the government, if you serve as a part of the justice system, maybe you serve as a part of law enforcement, maybe you serve just under the government in some other capacity, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you are with public works, maybe you serve in the military, you're used to serve in the military. We're deeply grateful for the way that you have served and the way that you have carried out the things that God had given you to do because he's placed that on you. Whether you recognize that you were working on his behalf when you were doing so or not or whether you recognize it now or not the fact is that you are and Paul is trying to establish that for us so that we can recognize the benefits that come because of those who serve around us he says why do you live under authority because it's for our good 
And almost always it is moving in that direction. And he says a third one here. Why do you live under authority? Well, it's a matter of conscience. In our passage, Paul indicates that there are a couple of reasons to be motivated to live under authority. One of those was fear. Fear that if you're doing something wrong that you are going to get arrested or something bad is going to happen to you if you're doing something illegal. So you might be out of fear that you live under that authority. He says better than that, he says, is out of conscience. Out of conscience. Look at verse 5. It says, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. There's something inside of us that, that eats the principled person until things are made right. And I hope that you have come to experience that from time to time, where you're motivated to act just out of the conscience that you have, knowing and understanding that something needs to be straightened out. For a couple hundred years now, the government has maintained what they call the conscience fund. Maybe you've heard about this. This is a fund where they put the money that people send in anonymously because the people feel guilty about something that they've done or something that they haven't done. And so they send this money in. The largest amount that's ever been sent in is $155,502. Wouldn't you be interested to know what was that about or what was going on behind that one? The least amount that's been sent in is nine cents. That person has a pretty active conscience, it it sounds like, when you stop to think about it, for sure. Oftentimes, the payments are accompanied with a note. And sometimes those notes are very heart-rending and sometimes they're not so heart-rending. But they almost always are some way that this person is trying to appease their guilt that they're feeling. It's because of conscience. One letter read like this. It said, Dear IRS, I have not been able to sleep at night because I cheated on last year's income tax. Enclosed, find a cashier's check for $1,000. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. Yeah, so... (laughs) So there's that. I'm not sure exactly how fine-tuned that person's conscience was, But Paul is saying that the Christian should be fine-tuned as it relates to the living under authority. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's because the believer recognizes that the leader is a person who's serving under the authority of God. And when we submit to them, we're submitting to God. And when we refuse to submit to them, we're refusing to submit to God. He's making it really that plain and that simple. That's how serious it is. And he calls us to live in harmony with that sort of authority or the authorities that are over us. In another context, Paul has written this to Timothy. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's the baseline He's saying that's just standard operating procedure, the way it should be day to day to day to day. Now, you might say, well, what if my conscience doesn't allow me to do that? Doesn't allow me to support that person or to to stand with that person in the things that they are doing? What if you disagree with the person who's in charge? Well, again, we go back to the foundation of looking for where we can align remembering that this person is a servant of God. So that's always our starting point. Starting point is not, how can I stand against you? 
I'm not ideologically aligned with you, and so what is it I can do to make your life more difficult or stand against whatever you're for, but rather to look for how can I stand with you, and then if there is some circumstance where I can't, then to take that sort of as almost a last resort, as it were. But what if the leader is doing something that is at odds with what it would mean to support God? Well, Paul helps us in this, in this passage. The, the highest value that Paul speaks to here is that of God. God isn't serving these authorities. The author, authorities are serving God. And we need to recognize that priority system as well. So if what is being demanded of a Christ follower is something that elevates the purposes of man over and against the purposes of God, then the purposes of God have to be paramount. Those are the things that have to come through the loudest. There's nothing that ever overrules the will of God. Of course, there are lots of examples that you can point to in the scriptures where we see that sort of activity on the part of different people. You've got things like the Hebrew midwives who directly resisted what Pharaoh had demanded that they would do in taking the lives of all of the infants there in Egypt for a time. They said, absolutely not. That would be against what, what God's purposes would be with these that he has made in his own image, obviously. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego famously would not bow down to the king and wouldn't, wouldn't worship an idol. We've got Peter, who maybe just gives the strongest example of this at all. He was one who was, who was commanded by the authorities to stop preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, we must obey God rather than men. That's very straightforward. That's very clear. That's very obvious what he is getting at here. There are plenty of examples of civil disobedience in the scriptures. And the fact of the matter is there are going to be almost certainly times when we are going to have to act and respond in that same way. There's not that much that happens in our world that forces us into that circumstance. Yes, there are plenty of things that you, that you would stand against what somebody else might believe, what somebody else might espouse, but the number of times that that is brought to the place where you are forced into a situation, into a circumstance where you are made to do something that is in opposition of what your core value might be isn't all that often that it happens, but that could change. And that could change rather dynamically and dramatically. And I don't have to try to convince you of that because you watch what's going on around you as well. And you can imagine how there might be a circumstance where you will be brought into tension in this sort of kind of circumstance, this kind of situation where something would be thrust on you and forced on you that you simply cannot support. And so we need to be prepared to stand for the purposes of God wherever those things come into conflict and understand that. But we still need to begin by, with this mindset of serving the authorities. And it doesn't mean undermining every area of their leadership. Is there, if there's one thing that you might happen to stand against, when you can support the rest of what is there just because you're so against this that you're simply going to out of principle. Well, the principle is what Paul is giving to us. Not that we just happen to be angry because of a certain stance that a person takes on a particular issue. Important for us to understand the difference in that. Then there's one more. Why should we live under authority? It's because it is a fair arrangement. That's what Paul's gonna tell us. It's a fair arrangement. Wraps up this section, verse six and seven, if you look at it. He writes, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. There's that same idea. 
You see how often he just keeps coming back to these, these authorities or the ministers of God. They're people who are in those positions that we need to recognize as being in positions that God has set up. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. There's a benefit in a service that all of us are provided from the government. And it's hard work that they do. It is a thankless job that they are in. And you can see that. You know that to be true. And it's only fair that they would be remunerated for the work that they do on our behalf. And the way that usually happens is through taxes that are collected and then those salaries are paid out of those things. Now you might say, okay, but I don't agree with everything that those taxes go to support. I don't agree with the way that they use all of the things that they collect from me in taxes or use every cent of what I contribute. And I understand that and I feel some of that myself. But I also recognize the fact that there isn't really any context in which we operate as a partner with any other person or group of people where there isn't some sort of give and take that is going on, where there isn't some sort of compromise that has to happen. If you're married, you're in a partnership with just that one other person and you can't even get together there all the time on how, how the money is going to be spent right? You don't agree 100% on that, but you don't cut off any spending in the family because you don't agree with supporting their white mocha frappuccino habit, right? Paul says taxes, okay, pay them where you owe them. There is a service that you're receiving for what you're paying, and you can recognize that and follow through. He says it's also appropriate to give respect and honor, to those authorities. So let me ask you, how do you speak about people who are in authority? Specifically, governmental authorities. And not just the people who are on your side of the aisle, but the people who are on the other side. When you get together with people who feel the same way that you do about things, is your speech respectful? and honorable toward the people who are in authority? Remember, God has placed them there. And so our response, the way that we speak of them, speaks to what we think about God and about God's activity. And we're calling into question what he has done as we speak in certain ways. It's just a little bit convicting. But we need to ask ourselves that question. Even if you don't agree with them, Paul says that we should respect the office and honor the person in it. It is possible to honor someone without agreeing with them. Martin Luther King is probably maybe the very best example ever at doing this. He was one who always spoke with respect toward an office or toward a person while at the same time working aggressively for change. Besides, dishonor, if you haven't noticed, is never a path to getting what you desire. Walking up to somebody and dishonoring them or behind their back dishonoring them is never going to be a path to getting together, to working together, to seeing what it is that you desire come to pass. So sometimes we do it just because it feels better to have spoken in that way. We need to again ask ourselves, is that honor? Is that respect? These are positions that have been allowed by God. 
We need to recognize what we're saying in what we say. Now, I know the topic of government is a flashpoint in our culture today and that it affects all of us, but the notion that we need to get a perfect government and just the right party in, in power is being necessary to make the advancements that we really think need to be made, that just isn't even right. It's not even true because our hope is not in any politician. It is not in any political party. Our hope is in Jesus. That's where it is. And we need to recognize that. And until we do, we're just going to be working against ourselves. We're going to be working against the possibility that things actually do become better in the culture in which we live. It's not a political party. It's Jesus. Yes, by all means, get involved in the process. Vote. Speak truth to power. Be salt and light. Go into politics. All fine things to do things that I would encourage you to consider doing. We need more believers who are serving in positions where they have this sort of opportunity to, to influence circumstance. But ultimately, we need to recognize our primary work is as a follower of Jesus. Regardless of whether you're inclined to have a donkey sticker on your car or an elephant sticker on your car. I know it can be discouraging when the right person isn't in power, but the truth, my friends, is that the right person is always in power. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is above all and over all and through all and in all. He is the one who will lead and guide, and he is the one who has given us a pattern by which we might just be able to move things forward in a way that is more positive for the culture that we're in than perhaps what we have been. Can you just stop to imagine for a moment that if we would actually take and apply what Paul has given to us here, how that might provide for some inroads into areas where right now there are just brick walls? Why? Because there's disunity, this, this, this yes, but there's not just disagreement, there is also this dishonor that is happening. And we have this group dishonoring that group and that group dishonoring this group. And as a result, there's greater division than ever before. We've said many times in the past that if there's going to be any real movement as it relates to bringing greater unity in the church and in the country, it's going to happen because believers are the ones who step up to get that done. Because we can see things from a different point of view, a different worldview. And it's very important for us to recognize that change is going to happen. Change only happens as it happens in hearts and we're the ones who are involved in heart change activity because we're the ones who serve the God who changes hearts. So I just want to leave that with you as Paul's clear words for how we should engage, how we should act, how we should interact. Yes, God's will is tantamount in all circumstances. But that doesn't mean that it gives us a right and a justification to dismiss our responsibility to engage with honor and respect in the circumstances that we're in. So what does that mean for you in the way that you speak with other people about authority in those in those positions? What does that mean for how you work, how you engage, maybe where you serve, maybe how you support in a way that previously you would have worked against or maybe just stood silently on the sidelines because you don't in any way want to be seen as supporting or working together in cahoots with a certain person or a certain 
party. God gives us the opportunity to have an influence and ultimately that's what this is about. And ultimately that's what the church did is because they responded as Paul called them to respond. What happened is that it transformed a culture. We've talked about that many times before. And the Roman Empire that is so against this church turns completely in a period of time to make Christianity the center religion of the Roman Empire. Do you think it's possible that we could see that sort of change happen in culture? I don't think there's any doubt about it, but we're going to have to get serious about difficult passages like this and how we're going to process our way through them and how we're going to live that out day to day. So what does that mean for you as you think about your engagements, as you think about your speech, as you think about where it is that you are headed and how it is that you support and honor and respect? I pray that we would take Paul seriously that we wouldn't just take this as a, yeah, that's, that's just what Paul thinks. Yeah, well, Paul is an inspired writer by God himself. And so there's definitely something here for us to process and to understand and to execute for the glory and the sake of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for <laughs> this passage. Thank you for the way that it, it gets in our face for the way that it challenges us, for the way that perhaps it requires something of us that we haven't brought to bear in the past. Lord, it's convicting. It's convicting to think about what are all of the things that I've said about this person, about that person, about this group, about that situation. or to think about how I've supported or haven't supported, or to think about the way that I've complained, maybe not ever really recognizing that it's not just standing against that person and that party, but it's standing against the wisdom of God, the purposes of God, the institutes that God has allowed and, and set up and supported Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you, were so, that you would soften them where they're hard, that you would not in any way, that this would not in any way take away the convictions that we have about what you've called us to, about what the scriptures say about standing against evil, of standing against things that are against you. We don't want to water down any of that but there's a way to do so that maintains respect and honor to those with whom we engage. So Lord, we need your mind, we need your wisdom to go before us in every word and in every deed. And so we commit ourselves to that now. Lord, soften our hearts where they're hard Cool us off where we get hot and use us so that your glory might be first and foremost on our mind, not our politics, but your glory. And Lord, whatever that requires of us, I pray that you would use us so that ultimately it is your name that is lifted high.
and that you're the one who is magnified, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.